This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics, and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Today we're going to cover the book, Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. I, I, I think I said that right, but we'll go ahead and we'll go with it. <laughs> I like it. So, uh, Eric, you were the one that read this book, so this is going to be me interviewing you. Uh, so let's go ahead and get to it. First of all, who recommended this book? This one was recommended by Ezra Klein. Hmm. on episode 208 of the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. And it was one that's popped up a lot. I mean, I've seen this recommended a lot. Uh, I think that was the only person that ever recommended it on the Tim Ferriss Show, though. Uh, but it is one I've seen a lot and, and one that, that I've wanted to read for a while. So I uh, fi finally got around to it. So let's go ahead and get to what your uh, instant takeaways are here. What, uh, what, uh, what did you take away from this? Well, um, yeah, in, in, in initial reaction to the book, it, it actually took me a while to get into it. Um, and I've started thinking about books, you know, that when there's a book where you will gladly miss sleep to, to just keep reading and, and, and finish that chapter, even though you're, you're, do, you're dog tired and, and you want to go to bed. Uh, this was not one of those books, uh, or, or at least not at, at the beginning, um, uh, I'm reading one now, uh, which we'll be discussing soon, Fooled by Randomness, and that's one that I'm having a hard time putting down. But uh, this one took me a while to get into it, but I'm glad I stuck it out because the last three chapters were were worth the price of admission. And uh, I'll dis discuss uh, later what, what was in those last three chapters. But, um, but yeah, took me a while to get into it. Uh, this was a very neat, read, neat book to read uh, after reading the Disney book the Disney biography that I read earlier this year by Neil uh, Gabler, and then also Principles by, by Ray Dalio. Uh, this, this book is the title, uh, or the title indicates is uh, Creativity and then Comma, Inc. So there's a corporation around creativity. How do you, how do you keep creativity going in what a lot of people think of as a bureaucratic uh, system or you know, as the company gets larger, how do you how do you keep that spark going? And especially with this book, it it, it uh, uh, Ed Ed Cat Catmull. If you're you're not familiar with him, he is the president of Pixar and also of Disney Animation Studios. So uh, one one unique thing about uh, Pixar, and and I would assume for Walt Disney as well, is most of the movies out there are done by freelancers. So it's it's a group of people that will get together, and and I saw this in the in the the little bit of work I did in the the Hunger Hunger Games films. Uh, I, I just talked to as many people as I could, and they they were basically all uh, all freelancers there for that film, and then they would go on to another film and work with a different crew on on the next film. But with Pixar, these people are here; they're at that company. They're they're not going anywhere, so they're. They're working on the next film. They're working on the next film. So how do you create, how do you keep a group of people like that engaged? How do you keep them uh, get, you know, getting the most out of them creative, creatively? 
And so that's really what this book is about and and is is Ed Catmull's goal as the the president of this company to to keep uh, to keep people uh, creative. And uh, actually his stated goal towards the end of the book, I wanted this book to acknowledge the complexity that creative creativity requires. So let's go ahead and jump into it then. What are the techniques that he applies to this? How does he, and and you got to give him credit because Pixar has, the movie industry is one of those, one of those, uh, one of those things where generally speaking, most movies bomb Mm -hmm. and you depend on a few blockbusters to basically pay for all of the rest of them you're, you're counting on basically taking a loss on most of the films that any given studio puts out not so with pixar mm-hmm. pixar hits home run after home run i mean generally speaking they have uh they have well i'll, I'll say that home run after home run and then every so often they'll have a foul ball like wally but other than other than than the occasional failure which you know some people seem to have liked that one too but they're vi- they've got a an amazing track record of keeping their creativity up and mm-hmm. and releasing consistently excellent stuff how does he, how does he do it what what is his process for this yeah the, uh, the book highlights a, a, a lot of the creative innovations that uh, that Pixar has as a company and, and a lot of them come from Ed himself there's also John Lasseter uh, uh, Ed and John are, are kind of the 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 co-CEOs I guess in a way and then you also had a third person of, of Steve Jobs which we'll we'll get into later in, in his role in the the company uh, but just quickly before I get into those those innovations I, I want to highlight Ed's story a little bit because it is so unique and, it, and it's really cool uh, when he was a kid he would watch he, he was born in, in uh, 1945 so when he was a kid in the 50s that's when Walt Disney was doing his show and so as a kid, he was just, he was amazed at uh, what Disney was doing. And he dreamed of being an animator as a kid. And he, he wanted to work for Disney. When he went to school, he he studied technology and also studied uh, physics and then computer science. So that's where the, the technology came in and ended up being at the right place at the right time. And it re- really made me think of, of outliers uh, when, when he talks about Bill Gates being at the right place at the right time. He was at the University of Utah, which was one of the four nodes of ARPANET, which was the what what we now know as the internet. Yeah, the precursor to the internet. Yeah, uh, gov- government research um, in, into to, to getting that set. And, and University of, of Utah was one of those, along with Stanford, UCLA, and UC Santa Barbara. So happened to be at the right place at the right time. And, and really got a good good education in in technology. And when he combined that with his childhood love of, of animation, his whole goal was to to combine the two. And with that in mind, he scored a job with. Uh, have you heard of a guy named George Lucas? Oh man, it's ringing a bell. Just a Lucas film. It ring, it's ringing a bell. So, uh, or something about Star Wars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that Wars. guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after <laughs> after the success of Star Wars, George Lucas was really interested in getting more of this technology into films, which was not not a big priority in Hollywood at the time. So, enter ILM and Skywalker Ranch. Yep. And enter Ed Catmull, who uh, who scored a job at Lucas Films. But uh, his goal of of 
of creating more shorts and, and films and animated films with this technology was not really what, what George Lucas had in mind. So uh, it split off and it, uh, that's when Steve Jobs came, came on board. Steve Jobs gave the money for Pixar to separate from Lucasfilms. And at, at that point, it, it, uh, it became Pixar. Later on, Disney purchased Pixar. That was 2006. And with that deal, Steve Jobs worked for Ed and then John Lasseter to become the head of Disney Animation as well as part in, in part of that $7.4 billion deal. So really cool. Here's a guy grow, grows up wanting to be a Disney animator, actually got offered a position at Disney before all of this took place to be an animator declined it because it wasn't exactly in line of what, with what he was wanting to do ends up now in charge of Disney animation. So just a really cool story in, in, in that, that sense. So, you know, you could probably write some sort of, uh, you know, middle-class to riches movie to, uh, to chronicle this rise, you know, it'd be, uh, it could work. Pixar. Yeah. Pick the Pixar movie. Yeah. Um, so, Ed's always been in charge of of uh, of Pixar even from the beginning, and so he he always knew that it was important for there to always be this creative creative thing going on. So some of the things that uh, back to your question, the things that he he introduced and things that have kept Pixar going are are one is is what he uh, what referred to as innovation groups, just basically smaller groups within Pixar that were charted with with doing more innovative things and and were giving given more leeway to to try new things uh one thing they did was short films so I, I i don't think i've seen any of these but but if you went to a pixar movie at the theater there would be like a five to eight minute short movie at the beginning and they didn't really ever make money from these, but it was a way that they could learn new technologies and, and things like that. So that ended up being really beneficial for for them as a, as a company because they got to try a lot of things out. What are some of the titles of some of those shorts? Do you, do you remember any of any of the titles? I don't. I can put some of them in the uh, in our show notes, but um, I, yeah, I don't I don't recall. And I, I didn't even look any of them up to see if if the short ones would would be on youtube i'm guessing they might just since they're not the full full feature films um but yeah so here's a here's a quote of his that that highlights some of these smaller groups in big organizations there are advantages to consistency but i strongly believe that smaller groups within the larger whole should be allowed to differentiate themselves and operate according to their own rules so long as those rules work this fosters a sense of personal ownership and pride in the company that, to my mind, benefits the larger enterprise. So that, that was one cool thing he did. Another uh, another thing was what he called brain trust meetings. And these were meetings that reminded me a lot of uh, when we talked about principles, Ray, Ray Dalio's principles of the radical transparency. These meetings were, uh, he, he hated to use the word honesty because he thought that that inhibited people. So he, he used the word candor. And the goal of these meetings was basically Ray Dalio's goal of radical transparency. So uh, problems were were addressed and 
it wasn't necessarily that uh, a special remedy would would be gathered in these meetings, but it was more let's bring these problems to 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 the surface and then and then deal with them. So that was the brain trust meetings. The next thing was continuing education. Ed, uh, along with Walt Disney in, in the Disney book, was a big believer in in continual education to where he would have professors come in and 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 different people come into Pixar and teach classes that employees of Pixar could could sign up for and not not what, even what like, kind of subjects well um, new techniques uh, yeah I, I think ma- mainly a, a lot to do well, with like, like a new Kama Sutra yeah <laughs> techniques I think more in line with uh, with <laughs> technology oh, oh okay got you got you yeah um, uh, perhaps yeah maybe uh, but w- what was really cool is is this had the side benefit of putting different people together that would have never normally interacted at the company. So it might put somebody in HR together with engineering, and they may never cross paths during the day, but here they are in a class together, learning together. And you might have an executive with uh, with with someone just starting out, but they're both learning at the same time. And I thought I thought that was a, a cool cool thing that they uh, they did uh, two more things to highlight uh, in terms of creative innovations he had what, what were called notes days and this was where the entire company took the day off but came to work but to solve a, a particular problem so one of the problems he highlighted was that they needed to cut costs but he didn't want to fire any employees so he he set up these small groups in the company during that day to figure out ways that they could save 10% per year so that they wouldn't have to fire people. And people just ended up coming up with really good ideas. They were able to save the company money. Some people were saying, well, why, why stop at 10%? Why don't we, why don't we try to save uh, a larger percent? And, and it really had a, a good impact on the company. And, and from what it sounds like, they didn't have to, to fire people. So that was kind of a cool, cool thing that he did. And then the last thing is once the merger happened, they kept Disney and Pixar separate to the point where if Pixar was running into a deadline with finishing a film, they were not allowed to get Disney people to help finish the film. They, they had to finish it by themselves and, and same on the Disney side. And there were there were times where, where it was very tempting to get people from the other side, but um, but they kept that separation so that Disney people would be proud of their their Disney movie. And Pixar would be proud of their Pixar movie at, at the end of the day. Yeah. How is that? How has that, um, that division, has that persisted? That's actually something I was meaning to look into myself uh, not that long ago. Just was curious. They're, they're continuing to run them both as completely separate entities now, or, or is there a little bit more collaboration between them? I, I actually don't know that. Yeah. As far as I know, it's still separate. This, this book was written in 2014. So, um, it's it's fairly fairly recent, and I I would assume that that, uh, that I mean there's nothing in the book to indicate that it that it's different, and and I'm not aware that uh, that it was that it's been changed since then. All right, well there you go. Um, let's uh, unless you have any other any other initial stuff, let's go ahead and shift gears a little bit. And you you'd mentioned Steve Jobs in all of this. What um. 
what's his role in the book? Where does he come up and, uh, and, and how does he fit into this, into the reflections of creativity Inc. I'm, I'm interested. I I'm figuring, uh, most people who would be listening to podcasts probably have some interest in, (laughs) in things, Steve jobs, just because, well, we, we all have that tech problem and we tend to like our icons. So, so where does, where does jobs come in here? Yeah. You know, I, I, I knew you'd be interested in this as well. And you, you have, uh, Isaacson's book on your, your list this, this year as well. So, um, a book you gave me actually, as I recall. Yeah. I think that was one of my, one of my suggestions for you. Well, you actually bought me the book a a while back as well, or, or, uh, or suggested it at least. And, uh, finally getting around to that. Yeah. Yeah. So Steve plays a very prominent role in this book. And the, the start of it was when he purchased Pixar from Lucasfilms and you want to, you want to give a guess as to how much he, he paid for that. Um, for, for Pixar. Yeah. For Pixar, Um, basically at the point where they hadn't created a whole much of anything. Yeah. As I recall, it was less than a hundred million. Oh yeah. 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 I I think it was somewhere. I think it was somewhere. Okay. Okay. I I was, I was recalling it somewhere around 25, but you're saying five. Well, so it, it gets a little tricky. So he paid 5 million to spin it off from Lucasfilm. And then he added another five million to basically fund fund the company in the in the beginning round. For that five million, he got seventy percent <laughs> of the company. So Steve is just kind of master negotiator here. So he's got seventy percent of Pixar. I'll never underestimate the power of negotiating with the desperate. He then put another. Uh, they estimated he put another fifty million into it uh, for for the initial films and, and to keep things running for a while. I wonder so where his, I got the 25 figure. I, maybe just an invention in my own mind, but well, his, so his total investment was $60 million, give, give or take a little bit. <laughs> guess how much, okay. For, so guess how much, and, and we're talking a lot of changes here to where that stake was transferred to Disney. Uh, it became Disney stock, but that sixty million. Just take a wild guess as to what that was worth in his estate in two thousand fifteen. Well, that's a good question because Disney, when they bought Pixar, they bought Pixar for like seven seven billion. Seven point four. Yeah. So, <laughs> so seventy percent of seven billion is going to be what? Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> I got to do some back of the envelope uh, math here. That's going to be roughly five billion, and then that's going to get converted. That into was two thousand six. That's two thousand six, and then that's going to get converted into Disney stock. And he died in what fourteen or fifteen? What's that? I think he died in eleven, didn't he? Oh, that's right. It's been a while. Um. Yeah. So then he died in eleven. So it's done fairly well and Disney's done fairly well since. Yeah. You, well, you had the downturn in 07, but mm-hmm. uh, let's see. So that's probably going to be worth somewhere around six point. I'm going to go with 6.3 billion. 13.3. <laughs> wow. So when it converted into Disney, it was that worth that much more? Wow. Yeah. So that 60, doubled even after the acquisition. 60 million to 13 billion. That's a good ROI. Pixar. That's not Apple. That's that that 13 billion has nothing to do with <laughs> Apple. 
the, yeah. the main thing yeah. he's known for. Yeah. That's a pretty good so, return of investment on your hobby. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Steve, uh, so what, what, the portrayal in this book is that Steve, the, the reason he purchased Pixar was at that time, Pixar was, was very in, uh, innovative with the technology they were creating to, to do these animations. So they, they were selling a computer that was over a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. The, we talk about the next stuff. No, no, this is before next. So Steve's initial reason for purchasing Pixar was to, uh, to to it was it was really to be a hardware company and to sell these high end computers to compete with with Apple, but these were like you know high 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 end over a hundred thousand dollars. So they, I think, only sold three hundred or something. I mean, it was a very small number that they ended up up selling. And then it was around that time that Steve started Next and was was more into the personal computer. Uh, but and and then Pixar since they, they weren't selling well with these computers, they, they solely focused on the animation of, of things. So Steve had a very integral role in all this. Uh, I want to read a few quotes because he just, uh, just some amazing, amazing things here about Steve. And what's really cool is Ed worked with Steve. So Ed Catmull, the author of this book worked with Steve for 26 years. And he said, that's more than nearly anyone else. And so he saw him change a lot during that time. One thing, and, by the way, one thing, by the way, I'm going to interrupt before you go any further. One thing, by the way, that that sticks out in terms of jobs, acquiring them for the hardware stuff. And then eventually that didn't work out. So they went the animation route and really pushed behind that just shows you the power of the pivot, he, yeah. you know, recognizing, nope, that, that's not going to work. So let's go where our strength is. And that's something jobs did really well multiple yeah. times. Yep. I mean, even like with the iPhone, the iPhone was, you know, it's a pretty cool gadget when they released it, but there was no app store. And it turns out that the app store is where they ended up making a lot more money. And the app store was a development from the hacker community, basically from, from jailbreaking and all that. And they went, wait a second, we can do this, put a walled garden around it and make a lot more money. And that pivot wound up being huge, you know, mm-hmm. same thing with iTunes and, and streaming and all this other stuff. So interesting to see how, how his investment was a great investment, but it was partly because they, they pivoted and it was not where they thought they would get the return of investment that, that they got it. That's, that's something that's interesting to me, but anyway, carry on. Well, and, and this ties in with one of the quotes I wanted to highlight, uh, the, the pivot Steve jobs was known for changing his mind instantly in light of new facts. And I don't know anyone who thought he was weak. And that, that was really interesting because that, that comes in a part. It says, uh, Changing course is also a sign of weakness, tantamount to admitting that you don't know what you're doing. But this strikes me, this is Ed speaking, this strikes me as particularly bizarre. Personally, I think the person who can't change his mind or her mind is dangerous. And then that's where he says, Steve, Steve. Amen to that. Change his mind. Yeah. And, and I, I thought of you instantly in this because you, you talk about that all the time. You, you'd rather you'd rather change your mind immediately than, than try to hold on to something out of, out of pride. And, and Steve Jobs, I guess- but, uh, better than most was was able to do that. Um, yeah, better rapidly. to admit you're wrong now instead of you know capitalizing or instead of trying to commit to the sunk cost and remain wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and and sink that ship from the from the past, burn that bridge, and move on to where you've got better chances. So yeah, well, I thought you'd appreciate this uh, this Steveism right here. When I don't see eye to eye with somebody, I just take the time to explain it better. 
so they understand the way it should be. <laughs> oh, that that <laughs> that's classic jobs right there. And here's where uh, so you're reading Isaacson's book later this year. Ed Cottmel had he hated that book because he said Isaacson kind of um, focused on the the abruptness of, of Steve, but without really going into more depth of of that. And Ed Ed had a theory on that, in that he said it was a like a sonar, and Steve used this aggressive interplay to to test the waters. So he, here's the quote. Uh, watching him reminded me of a principle of engineering, sending out a sharp impulse like a dolphin uses to determine the location of a school of fish can teach you crucial things about your environment. Steve used aggressive, used aggressive interplay as a kind of biological sonar. It was how he sized up the world. So he would say in, in I mean, there's just a, the quotes abound in, in Isaacson's book where, oh, this is BS or this is crap. I mean, he told Bill Gates that Windows was, was <laughs> SHIT. And, and he said, this is a family friendly show. Yeah. And, and along with Steve changing his mind, like like part of that was he wanted to see if you really believed in something, because if you did, you, you would fight back to those comments. And, and so I just, I I thought, I thought that was interesting that, um, that it's kind of a broader take on, on, on that. And, and, Steve Jobs could have been, a, he, he could be a jerk. And, and yes, I mean, the, the examples of that abound and, um, you know, just thought rules didn't really apply to him and all that kind of stuff. But Ed, Ed says some of that was, was ways to, to test people too and, and, and try to get the best out of them. Well, I, I can totally see that because someone like Jobs, in my impression, and again, obviously I never knew Jobs, but my impression is uh, that for someone of his particular makeup, uh, challenging people to have to kind of come to battle like, with him is, uh, you know, would be the way that he would want to to test what test their metal. You know, do you have a good idea? Is this going to work? And if you can't stand up for it, then it's probably not good enough for us to go to go forward with. I totally get that. Now, yeah. again, for people who are not as willful or uh, Com, you know, committed to their to their own ideas, that that's pretty off putting. But if you if you're confident in in the quality of your idea and you really have something, then yeah, it makes sense that you could stand up to that. So I, I totally get the rationale of that, and I, I can see how uh, Catmull would say that that is um, that 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 was the the rationale for that. Well, and, and, it makes and, sense to me. Well, and to go further, Catmull said that even if people did have a, a good reason behind what they were saying and, and Steve would come in and just blast them. Some people couldn't handle that. And so he, he did say that Steve kind of mellowed out. He said, actually, Steve having kids and, and getting married is what really mellowed him out more to, to I guess, not, not go so abrupt on people and, and, and so strongly on people because the, some people could not handle that, even though their ideas were Right. They just they, they would just shut down. So um, it, it took Steve a long time, but Ed said he, he, he did change in that way as well. So I thought that was interesting. And then this, this quote, this is this is grand. Uh, this comes towards the beginning. And this was when uh, Steve was was talking to Ed about about um, purchasing Pixar. 
Steve's domineering nature could take one's breath away. At one point, he turned to me and calmly explained that he wanted my job. (laughs) Once he took my place at the helm, he said, I would learn so much from him that in just two years, I would be able to run the enterprise all by myself. I was, of course, already running the enterprise all by myself, but I marveled at his chutzpah. He not only planned to displace me in the day-to-day management of the company, he expected me to think it was a great idea. <laughs> the, 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 uh, uh, the, the Steve Jobs reality distortion field uh, must not have kicked in well enough because he seems not to have bought it. Yeah, and that's a, another phrase he hates from uh, Isaacson's book. <laughs> yeah, which really, I mean, the, the reality distor- distortion field is just what in sociology people would call charisma. That you have the capacity to get other people to buy into to what you're to what you're selling, mm-hmm. to to buy into your passion and to what you're what you have to offer, and yeah. some people have that in spades, and Steve really did. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just I, I thought it was interesting because I, I had not heard much negative uh, negativity about the Isaacson book, uh, but but Ed really, yeah, <laughs> he doesn't really have anything nice to say about it, and it's just it's interesting because uh, Isaacson spent. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs called up Isaacson to spend kind of the last portion of his life. Yeah, he uh, handpicked Isaacson to write the book. Yeah, but Ed's point is Isaacson spent a year with him. I spent 26 years with him. I've got I've got a little broader view of, of him. So it, it, it was interesting. Um, and then here's here's the last quote. And this is great there to set the scene here. Sunday afternoon, February 2007, and they're at the red carpet, the 79th Annual Academy Awards. Cars is nominated for the Best Animated Feature Film. And here uh, I'm, I'm reading what Ed is saying about this situation here, and then I'll, I'll say when, uh, when it turns into Steve's quote. Uh, but as oh, Cars was nominated for Best Animated Feature Film, and like all award hopefuls, we had a few pre-show jitters. But as the three of us jostled along, Steve looked around at the circus and elegantly turned out men and women, the scrum of television interviewers and throngs of paparazzi and screaming onlookers, the line of limousines pulling up to the curb. And Steve said, what this scene really needs is a Buddhist monk lighting himself on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that would be a little bit of off color humor, but uh, some of us really appreciate such things. So there you go. So yeah, that's uh, those were the the things that stuck out about Steve. But yeah, if, if you if you want to learn more about Steve, this was um, I, in, in totally unexpected on my part, but a uh, uh, lot of lot of really good information about about Steve Jobs and and non Apple related information. I get more of the information I've come across is is more what he did at Apple and, and even Next, but not not necessarily uh, as much with with Pixar. So let's go ahead and shift gears. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about his uh, his process for keeping Pixar creative uh, and keeping the innovations flowing. We've talked about his relationship with Steve Jobs. What we haven't talked about is uh, the red hat topic, as it were, <laughs> making Disney great again. So let's go ahead and uh, and address that 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 question. Well, and it's funny again. This was written in 2014, and and. He, he sort of uses the that that term of of uh, making the Disney Studio great again, and, and I, I just got a kick out of that because I, I doubt he would lo- use the the same language now. But I'll start off with a quote, and then just very briefly, what stuck out to me about this this part. 
So here's the quote. We had both spent our lives in this, both uh, him and John Lasseter. We had both spent our lives trying to live up to Walt Disney's artistic ideals. So the thought of walking through the doors of Disney, Disney animation entrusted with the mission of reinvigorating its people and helping them return to greatness felt daunting, but also worthy and important. And so that, that was cool. I mean, just, I, I just can't even imagine that like you, living your whole life wanting to, to be an animator for Disney and then one day walking in and, and again, something that Steve Jobs worked out with the negotiation to, to get Ed and John to be head of Disney animation as part of this deal. Uh, but, but to walk in the door and, and know that you're, you're now entrusted with a mission of, of reinvigorating that, that company that, that just must've been amazing. But one, one of the first things they thought was they wanted to return Disney animation to what had made it great. And what had made it great was the animation but animation by hand. But that ended up not being the answer. I, I think they put out one movie where it was, I, I can't recall right now what, what film that was, but they did put one out where it was animation, uh, hand-drawn and, and all that. And it didn't do well at the box office and the employees at Disney hated doing it. So there was new technology out there. The the animators wanted to utilize that that technology. They didn't they didn't just want to go back to the old days. And I thought there was there was a lot to learn from that and, and a, a good lesson there that as a as a company you, you want to you want to go back to the past. You want to know what in from another episode the the why behind what you're doing, but you also want to marry that with what's what's new and what's current in the in the the new technology and 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 not to live solely in that past so that's a very difficult thing to balance and i think as as we've seen a lot of of more recent disney movies get get back on top uh it's something that i think they've gotten right and one thing this book highlights is is in the the Disney book, the biography that I read, you know, it 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 stops at the end of Disney's life. But what I didn't know is after that there was a, a huge dip in the quality of movies, and and they didn't have a number one movie for for many years, and then it it, uh, it came back up again. But it wasn't necessarily because they went back to animation by hand. It, it was utilizing new technologies along with that so thought thought that was a, a a really interesting thing to to highlight as as part of the part of the review of this book all right so given that let's go ahead and uh and wrap it up with uh your closing thoughts about this book who uh, who would really benefit from reading this book um any other any other reflections that you have here sure yeah I, i'd say there's there are two two main groups of people who would, would really enjoy this book. And one is if, I mean, if, if you're interested in Steve jobs, this is, this is a great book. You're going to learn a lot about Steve jobs. Uh, the second group of people is, is are, are those who lead creative organizations. So in that sense, it's a very high level book in, in a similar vein to principles by, by Ray Dalio. Um, the principles that Ray Dalio talks about are principles of how to run a company. It's not necessarily, I mean, he goes into life principles, but they're, they're really more for uh, life and, and work 
of, of how, how to conduct yourself in a company and then how the company should conduct itself. So really stuff for executives. And, and it seemed like a lot of this was was in that vein as well, where this is more like high level stuff. If, if you're wanting to read a book on how to be creative personally uh, for, for yourself, I would recommend The War of Art or one of the other books that we read last year on on the creative process. But this book is more for re- for for leading a creative organization. So uh, th- those are the the two people I would I would say for that. And and to conclude, again, not a, not a book that that maybe you want to stay up late to read it. But there were some really good things that I pulled from it. And my suggestion, especially if you're just looking for for more of on the personal creative creativity side, I would get this book, but maybe skip ahead to the last three chapters and then read the afterword about Steve Jobs and then read War of Art uh, in, instead of the first 10 chapters of this book. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, interesting suggestion there. Uh, so it, it's really worth more as a, as for its biographical pieces of jobs for the, for the jobsians among us than anything else. Any other final, final thoughts on the book? No, that, that's it. All right, then we'll go ahead and wrap it here. This has been the Books of Titans podcast. Now, before we go any further, we want to make a request. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave us a a, a very positive five star review. Put some comments there. Uh, I'll go ahead and let Eric, who's more of the SEO and other other aspects of this expert, to explain why that helps. Uh, go ahead, Eric, and uh, and fill us fill in the audience on why that helps. Well, if you think of all the podcasts are out there. I, the iTunes store and, and other podcast places where you can you can subscribe, they're going to want to highlight specific podcasts that are that are trending, that are doing well. And so if they if they just have thousands and thousands of podcasts to look at, one of the big things that's going to make one stick out is if it has been reviewed. And so in their algorithm that, that shows specific uh, specific podcasts in, in recommend re- recommended podcasts. One of the main things that they're looking at is if it's been reviewed, what types of reviews, and if they're if they're good reviews. So that, as you mentioned, Jason, that's one of the, the easiest ways that that you guys can can help uh, promote this podcast is by by giving reviews because yeah, that nothing that'll helps help more pop, than a five star uh, review. Yeah, that'll help us pop in the algorithm, which then gets gets us in front of more people. All right. Well, you can also follow us on all sorts of social media at Books of Titans. We're going to be back in another week. Most likely we'll be talking about uh, one of Nassim Taleb's books. This has been the Books of Titans podcast. Keep listening, keep reading, and keep improving. And keep thinking. I made this.